You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 23rd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Today I want to present an alternative narrative from the disease or medical model of mental illness. I want to lay out just what mental health is and provide an idea that mental and emotional distress is simply the disease of disconnection. I also want to make a case for the age of coronavirus and its aftermath to create the perfect breeding ground for disconnection and therefore mental and emotional distress, as well as what to do about it. What is mental health? Let's start with what mental health is instead of trying to describe mental illness, which is a misnomer. There is no actual illness. There are not many definitions of mental health in literature. In fact, when most people use the term mental health, they're actually referring to mental illness. But mental health is much more than just the absence of mental illness. Dr. Glasser, the psychiatrist who believes psychiatry was harmful to people, described a definition of mental health as follows. And I quote, You are mentally healthy if you enjoy being with most of the people you know, especially with the important people in your life, such as family, sexual partners, and friends. Generally, you're happy and are more than willing to help an unhappy family member, friend, or colleague to feel better. You lead a mostly tension-free life, laugh a lot, and rarely suffer from the aches and pains that so many people accept as an unavoidable part of living. You enjoy life and have no trouble accepting other people who think and act differently from you. It rarely occurs to you to criticize or try to change anyone. If you have differences with someone else, you'll try to work out the problems. If you can't, you'll walk away before you argue and increase the difficulty. You are creative in what you attempt and may enjoy more of your potential than you ever thought possible. Finally, even in very difficult situations when you are unhappy, no one can be happy all the time, you'll know why you are unhappy and attempt to do something about it. End of quote. Let's unpack this definition. You enjoy being with most of the people you know, especially with the important people in your life, such as family, sexual partners, and friends. The absence of harmony with the important people in your life, especially the ones you choose, often causes deep emotional distress, which can lead to anxiety and or depression. Generally, you're happy and more than willing to help an unhappy family member, friend, or colleague to feel better. When you're mentally healthy, you are generally happy and at peace most of the time. You're willing to invest your time to help people who may not be as happy to feel better when it's in your power to do so. You lead a mostly tension-free life, laugh a lot, and rarely suffer from the aches and pains that so many people accept as an unavoidable part of living. This doesn't mean you lead a charmed life, but rather you have a resiliency that allows you to relax through challenging times. You're happy and find humor and joy in everyday occurrences. Mental distress often translates into physical challenges. There's a strong correlation between emotional stress and stress-related medical conditions. When you're mentally healthy, you do not suffer from these somatic conditions that often have no basis in known medical causes. If you're having a resistance to this information thus far, it means that you think that if these statements about mental health aren't true, that means you're mentally ill. 
but we're not looking at mental health as you're either healthy or you're ill. There's a continuum. It's just like with physical health. You can be mentally healthy like an Olympic athlete or long distance runner, or you could be mentally ill, such as people who have a terminal diagnosis. And there's a vast range of things in between. Most people fall in between on the continuum of physical health, just like they do on the continuum of mental health. The description that I'm talking about of mental health is actually a very high standard of someone who has extreme positive mental health. So let's continue. You enjoy life and have no trouble accepting other people who think and act differently from you. It rarely occurs to you to criticize or try to change anyone. If you have differences with someone else, you will try to work out the problem. If you can't, you'll walk away before you argue and increase the difficulty. This basically addresses the human experience of wanting all things to line up with the way we think they should be, including the people in our lives. When you're mentally healthy, you understand that people are quite different, with different needs, strengths, knowledge, values, desires, perceptions, and preferences. It's unrealistic that any two people are going to think the same about all things. When a disagreement occurs, a mentally healthy person is not interested in trying to make other people adjust to how they think, but instead will be curious about and seek to understand the other person's point of view. They know that people can hold different truths without conflict. They seek harmonious solutions that do not diminish anyone involved. And if a situation occurs where the relationship is at stake, a mentally healthy person will walk away before damaging the relationship. But they'll come back and address the problem. A mentally healthy person doesn't walk away feeling frustrated, angry, and try to hold those emotions inside and never discuss them because that causes yet another problem which may result in those somatic physical problems I spoke of earlier. So walking away doesn't mean that's the end. It means you walk away and then when you're in a better frame of mind, not feeling like you have to change the other person, you can come back and have a conversation about it. You're creative in what you attempt and may enjoy more of your potential than you ever thought possible. When you're mentally healthy, you have nothing constraining your creativity. You try new things and engage in activity with things that align with your passion, further enhancing your creativity. It's like a loop. You feel free. You are more creative. You are happier and the creativity continues to feed on itself. Finally, even in difficult situations, when you are unhappy, no one can be happy all the time. You'll know why you're unhappy and attempt to do something about it. Unhappiness is usually our signal that something in our outside world is not matching up to the way we want it in our inside world. That signal is not something we're meant to hold on to and sit in and ruminate about. That symbol of unhappiness is a, it's designed to help us know to do something different. So when mentally healthy people get that signal of unhappiness, they don't sit in it. They know that feelings are connected to this imbalance between what we want and what we perceive we have. And they rather quickly Make a plan to do something different or think something different so that that feeling does not persist. What doesn't cause mental illness? For decades, psychiatry and big pharma have been searching for the biological cause of mental illness. They've tried to find genetic causes, 
brain chemical imbalances, brain problems with brain scans, and blood abnormalities with blood tests yielding zero results because mental and emotional distress do not have biological causes. People develop mental and emotional distress when things happen in their lives they don't want to happen. What does cause mental distress? Trauma causes mental distress. Grief and loss cause mental distress. And frustration of your goals causes mental distress. Humans need connection in their lives. To give and receive love is a basic need. In healthy families, this foundation is laid as love between parents and children. But not all children have that healthy foundation. When a child doesn't experience love as a child, mental distress ensues. Imagine the severity of that stress when it's not just love that's missing, but there is neglect, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. Traumatic childhoods can be found in the backgrounds of some of the most debilitated psychiatric patients. Symptoms of psychosis develop to take the child out of the trauma and continue into adulthood because they weren't taught better coping skills. Some children are saved by a loving relative or person outside their family like a teacher, A special pet can even provide the love a child needs. Trauma can disconnect a person from themselves and other important people in their lives. People who experience trauma are often taught they are to blame, so they take on that responsibility and learn to hate themselves. It also disconnects them from others because the abuser isolates victims from anyone who cares enough to detect the situation. The victim believes they are to blame, and they're so ashamed and scared they can't share their pain with anyone. When a child or even an adult experiences chronic safety concerns, emotional distress is often the result. A person living constantly in fear understandably develops anxiety. When a person loses something critically important to them, a child, a spouse, a brother, sister, best friend, sometimes they just can't seem to let go of their mourning. Unresolved mourning can create depression, anxiety, and other mental distress when they haven't learned new coping skills. People with mental distress can be those who are disconnected from themselves. People can't lose a connection they've never had, so if a child never learns who they are, what they like, how they want to be, then mental and emotional distress can ensue. Sometimes people had that connection and deny or lose it. These can all be the root cause of distress. Sometimes people develop behaviors to manage the fact that they've been unsuccessful in accomplishing their goals, hopes, and dreams. This can be combined with the fact that they lost connection or relationships with self, but emotional distress results. This simple explanation is that everyone has their own ideas about what they want and how things should be. Unless the person learns internal control coping mechanisms, they will have distress every time the outside world doesn't match up to what they want. That distress can end up causing any cluster of behaviors that's described in psychology's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, more commonly known as the DSM-5. Symptoms of distress are actually coping behaviors. Dr. William Glasser and others have been attempting to make as much of an impact on mainstream society as the endless resources of Big Pharma make. The disease model of psychiatry has a narrative that the public buys into, because that's all they've ever been exposed to. Psychiatry and big pharma have big investments in perpetuating this narrative, even though they know it's untrue. Why do medications help then? Depending on who you talk to, you'll learn that medication doesn't always help. 
It sometimes helps initially, but then dosages need to be increased over time as people develop a tolerance to their medication. Also, psychiatric drugs are made to help people feel better by numbing them out. When someone's in mental and emotional distress, numbness is an improvement. Dr. Terry Lynch, in The Depression Delusion, writes, Taking heroin will help you feel better, but it doesn't mean you have a heroin imbalance. Dr. Glasser used to say, Taking psychotropic medication is similar to taking Novocaine for tooth decay. It'll help you feel better, but it doesn't get at the underlying cause. And the underlying cause is usually one of the disconnections we spoke of previously, coupled with an inability to accept reality and not having any better coping skills to deal with the situation that's happening. According to choice theory, all behavior is purposeful meaning everyone who engages in a behavior is choosing the best option known to them at that moment to get what they want most. The choosing of the behavior isn't always a consciously aware choice. Often it's happening in the subconscious background and the person isn't clearly aware of their reason for choosing it. Many times it doesn't even feel like a choice. It's just something that happens mysteriously without medical cause. It can still be debilitating. Why would someone choose a debilitating behavior to get what they want? First, you have to understand how much pain the person is in relative to the debilitation. If the psychiatric symptoms the person is choosing relieve the pain, then of course they're going to continue with it. If my father were molesting me every night, and clearly I wanted him to stop but I was too small to have any impact, I had no defense against this behavior. I become depressed as my way of helping him see how much he's hurting me and will hopefully cause him to stop. If I develop anxiety, it's my way of being hypervigilant to accept behavioral cues that might help me have warning of impending molestation and possibly be able to avoid it. If I develop schizophrenia, it might be my way of becoming so strange he'll leave me alone, or it could be my way of escaping into a world where the molestation doesn't happen. I may even develop the amazing ability to dissociate if the behavior is regular and ritualistic. This is clearly a way to escape the pain mentally by checking out of my body. The behavior, formerly known as symptoms, is never caused by what's happening. Rather, it's created proactively as a coping skill by the individual as their best attempt to get what they want in that moment. It may look completely crazy from the outside looking in, but in that person's repertoire of behaviors, it was the best they could come up with, whether they were aware of it or not. The more extreme the behavior, usually the more extreme the trauma. This takes the ridiculous idea of mental illness as something that just happens to a person based on mysterious biological causes off the table. The way forward is to figure out what the person is trying to get, or perhaps what they were trying to get when the behavior started and helping them figure out a more effective way to get what they need. It may involve some acceptance and forgiveness for what has already happened and learning a new way to move forward with more helpful coping behaviors. Mental health and coronavirus. So this novel coronavirus, COVID-19, however it started, wherever it began, has turned most people's worlds upside down. Nothing is the same as it was six months ago for anyone. Many people have not been attacked with COVID and remain healthy, but others have not been so fortunate. There are real people who have been sick, hospitalized, on ventilators, and even lost their lives. 
This leaves all the frontline workers in constant harm's way with limited resources and sometimes life and death decisions to make. There are other non-essential workers who have been trying to work through the pandemic in harm's way without PPE and with customers who are not following social distancing measures and consider the loved ones of those workers at home worrying about the safety of their loved one as well as their own and family members. Think about all the funerals, weddings, and graduations that have been canceled or postponed indefinitely. The people who've been disconnected from the important events in their lives, missing those events that mark a rite of passage, can experience depression and anxiety. The corona quarantine separated people from their loved ones. Social distancing has created the inability to see those people cared about. Grandparents are missing grandchildren. People couldn't visit their parents. Most people were unable to see their friends or co-workers. People sharing custody of children didn't get their regular visits. Lovers are separated. Being separated from the important people in their lives can cause people to do desperate things. During this quarantine period, many people are suffering from lack of success. One in four Americans are out of work right now. Some have lost their jobs permanently. Some have been furloughed. Others are collecting unemployment. Independent contractors have lost their income. Some people have received government assistance, but many haven't. When a person loses their income, there's an avalanche of effects. Without money, you can't pay your bills. When you can't pay your bills, your credit gets destroyed. There may not be money enough for food. Lacking an income is bad, but losing your purpose is worse. Most people, five days a week, go to a job to do work that contributes to something. It gives people a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Without a purpose, people feel disconnected from themselves and their contribution. People are also mourning the loss of who they used to be and the way their life used to be. People have lost so much. When they don't know how to look for the glow, despair can ensue. People have had loved ones die alone, and they're coping with the guilt of not being there. Please know that depression and anxiety are temporary. When we experience difficult times, we are being forged for something greater. If you are experiencing anxiety or depression, please talk to someone. Find a counselor who won't pathologize your symptoms. Today, according to a Census Bureau poll, one-third of Americans are currently experiencing anxiety and depression. The URL for that article, if you're interested, is http colon forward slash forward slash b as in boy, i as in india, t as in tom, dot ly forward slash the number three, lowercase c, lowercase j, capital R as in Robert, lowercase r as in Robert, capital J, capital L. You're not alone. Things are bad. The reality is hard to accept, but you'll feel better when you accept things that have already happened. There's nothing you can do to turn back the clock to get a different outcome. What you can do is live through this so you can get to see what's on the other side. You didn't cause this, and you've surely been victimized by it, but how you respond during this time is what you do have control over. Face it. Accept it. Find the glow, the gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom in the situation. 
balance the equation and move forward with your life. You wouldn't want to miss the next chapter. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share it with others through your social media channels. If you'd like some coaching for what you're going through, check out www.therelationshipcenter.biz. B as in boy, I as in India, Z as in zebra, forward slash coaching, forward slash personal dash coaching. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be talking with you about post-traumatic glow. I look forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.